Chapter 11 The Local Legend The brass fox hung motionless above a sea of perfect white clouds, completely alone. What little wind existed gently rocked the ship, but did little more than bring tidings of aimlessness. I don't know why it's not working, Callie said. I've been practicing. She held the small brass ball perched on three fingers, but the metal arrow wouldn't budge. Rass paced around her, examining the device from all angles. I still don't get how you can practice using a compass. Hal says it has to connect with me or something. So you're its battery? Right now I'm not. Either that or there's nothing for it to pick up. She held it high as though a few extra feet would give it what it needed before resting her arm. The wild is east of here, can't we just start heading that way? That's what we've been doing, more or less. Rass rhythmically tapped his fingers on the big wheel. But the pass could be far north or south along the mountains bordering the wild. We could be doubling our travel if we fly blind. Frustration crept into his voice, and he hoped Callie wouldn't suggest dipping below the clouds once more to see if she could pick up a heading down there. They had already tried it four times, up and down at various altitudes. I'm going to go down and see if I can get the jet cycle running. Just let me know if this thing starts working. Rast descended into the hold as Callie started walking toward the front of the ship. He looked over at the vehicle that his mother would have killed him for owning. Elias used to have one, but had sold it as soon as Emma announced she was pregnant. Dad. Rass reached into his pocket with the clock in it, fishing out the envelopes. He stuffed the one for his mother back in and pulled up an overturned bucket for a makeshift seat. He gently tore open the side of the envelope, and when he turned it over to fish out the letter inside, a picture fluttered to the floor. He stooped down, collecting the small rectangle, and brought it close. The photo was a candid shot his mother had taken. Elias was in his thirties, had longer hair than Rass ever remembered him having, and was leaning down to give little ten-year-old Rass his first flying lesson. Rass hadn't been able to sleep the nights leading up to his first outing and was convinced that if he didn't touch the controls just the right way, the silver fox would plummet from the sky. Elias had repeatedly told his son not to worry and that flying wasn't so difficult. Dad? Little Rass asked, not looking up from the broken scoop intake his father had let him tinker with. Yeah, kiddo. Elias responded as he hauled another crate of provisions up the gangplank. Will I get my own ship someday? Elias set the box down and climbed the steps to the helm. You better, because I'm going to need this one for a while. How long? Years and years and years. He ruffled his son's hair and it fell in Rass's eyes. Better tell your mother you need another haircut before I get back. I don't like bowl cuts, Rass said. Why do you have to leave again so soon? Because this time everyone in Verdon needs me to. Did you get in trouble? You can tell me, Rass said. Elias laughed heartily. It was a deep and rich laugh and always made Rass feel like everything was right in the world. No, no more than usual. Mom says you're in big trouble if you don't come back. That's usually understood, Elias said. He walked over and stood beside Rass next to the helm. Rass, I need to tell you something. Rass stopped playing with the machinery and looked up at his father. People are going to say a lot of different things about why I'm going on this trip, but I'm going to tell you the real reason up front, all right? Yeah, Dad. It's because I love you and your mother. You don't have to go for me to know that, though. Elias hid his tears by embracing his son. That's a very good thing to know. A very good thing indeed. Placing the photo on his knee, Rass removed himself from the memory. He took a deep breath and extracted the letter. He didn't want to read it. There was always some comfort left that his father's final, perfect message was out there waiting for him, but this was it. Elias the hero would have spoken his last, for better or worse. Best to treat it like tearing off a bandage. Rass began before he could overthink it. My dear boy, it is my chief wish that you never read this letter and that it rot in the storage room of Orville's shop until the end of time. But I find writing this necessary as I can't guarantee what the wind holds for me. But therein lies the adventure of life and all its uncertainties. The one certainty is that if you are reading this, then my time has come and gone. 
I can only hope that I made it count for the right things. That I stood for truth, took care of your mother, and imparted the necessary building blocks so that you, in your ripe old age, could be proud of the man you have become. I need you to take care of your mother now. She'll still care for you, of course, but she's always struggled with being alone. If she meets someone new, please do your best to make sure he's a good man. There are so many paths your life can take you, and most will lead to the unexpected, but I would be remiss if I didn't warn you that you will find following in my footsteps as a wind merchant difficult, if not impossible. Your grandfather was a full knack, and some of that was passed down to me, but as you probably know, I have failed to pass it along to you. Your mother and I built the Silver Fox to be wind merchants together. What I didn't know was that your mother has something about her that dulls the sensitivity of knacks. I won't use the slang, but it made tracking energy with her by my side impossible. She thinks she's bad luck, but that was kinder of the options to tell her. I hate to tell you this, Ras, but you share this trait with your mother. I don't know if this is something you will grow out of, but I hope shedding light on this will keep you from taking any unnecessarily difficult path. You're smart, good with people, and can easily take things apart and put them back together far better than I ever could. You have such excellent strengths, Ras, and I hope you use them for a wonderful and successful life. No matter what, I have and always will love you, and I wish I could be there to see the man you will become. Be good, do good, love others. Always, Elias Fear. Rass let the letter drop. I'm officially lack. Dad always knew it, Rass thought. It made so much more sense why he never had his bearings in the sky. He had never heard of someone who went so completely to the entire other end of the sensitivity spectrum as to be a detriment to those around them. No wonder nobody took me on their crew when I was a teenager. His eyes began welling up. Don't let Mom be alone. Don't try to be a wind merchant. Sorry, Dad. Zero for two there. Rass considered crumpling up the letter but knew he would regret it. He couldn't tell Callie. He didn't want her to lose faith in her flawed captain. She threw away her future betting on a lack. A triumphant cheer erupted from above. It's working! We have a heading! The little arrow pointed east by northeast, and it stayed constant even if Callie twisted the device or moved around. Rass locked the brass fox on its course and did his best to hide his red eyes from her, which was no easy task. Are you all right? Callie asked. The hold was stuffy, he said. Well... I, for one, am so relieved that Hal didn't entrust this mission to a dud, she said, chuckling nervously, before lifting the orb and sighing with relief. I think I even gave myself a bit of a headache trying to focus on getting it to work. I'm sure we just hadn't gotten a potent enough gust for it to register, Rass said, or something. Wait, do I have to have this thing always on? No, I, I don't think so. Maybe check every hour. Once we get closer, though, it might be good to check more often, Rass said. Do you mind if I pull a chair out here and read my library books? Callie asked. Only if you read the little this elder aloud and do all the voices. Keeping up a cheery demeanor around Callie proved more difficult than Rass anticipated, but he did the best he could. Callie rolled her eyes and left the bridge, leaving Rass alone with his thoughts. The revelation of truly being a lack focused and tinted his memories. No wonder I could get so close to a convergence, but I had no business even chasing one to get there. If I had read that letter earlier, would Verdant be safe? He wondered what his mother would have preferred her boy become instead of a wind merchant. The captain's quarters door opened and Callie returned with the demons of Bogues in one of the dining room chairs. What about the others? Rast asked. I've already read the history of the Clockwork War in Verdant and, spoiler alert, the littlest elder finds his way home before the main gate seals his family into the wild. Rast stared at the horizon as the wind began to pick up. Below, the clouds moved quickly, turning more of a dull gray the further they flew. Hours passed and very seldom did he see the speck of another ship on the horizon. Callie would occasionally check the compass and Rast would alter course by one or two degrees. 
With the sun setting, the black clouds skittering with light drew Ras's attention. Deep booms reverberated through his chest. I don't think we're going to want to anchor below tonight. Are we going to have to fly through the night? Callie asked. Ras shook his head. If there's a city nearby, we can dock. Maybe see if I can buy some new grapple gun charges if I'm careful. It makes me nervous flying without any. Won't someone spot the fox? Callie asked. Doubt it. She's based on a popular model, Ras said. Besides, it beats getting struck by... What did you call it? Lightning. That's it. I doubt the ship would react well to it. Ras locked in their course and pulled out a tube from underneath the console. He extracted a map from its container and pressed it firmly to the dash to keep the wind from whipping it away. Kelly closed her book and stood. Anything nearby? Well, we're coming up on Crispin, but Bravo Company downed it before attacking Marin. Ras said, pointing to the X over the illustration of a city. Ras moved over slightly to let Kelly investigate. Look, there's a little dot next to the X, Kelly said, leaning in close. New Crispin? I don't know. Let's see. Ras mused over the map. We're maybe half an hour away if the wind's with us. She held up the brass orb and compared it to the compass. Looks like it's right on our path. Can we at least check it out? New Crispin it is, Ras said. With a new course plotted, they were able to rest easy for the remainder of the afternoon. Kelly took breaks from reading to fashion a holster for Ras's new wrench. She had called the holster dashing when he first tried it on, which, unbeknownst to her, was a salve to his tattered ego. The sun began to disappear beneath the roiling clouds as they approached the structure of several dozen vessels coupled together. The mostly empty docks, if they could be called such, led to a settlement whose sole source of illumination was its engines. Why is this even here? Callie asked. Rass looked down at the energy level indicator. The air is rich here, I'm guessing even after they lost their city, wind merchants made this out of some wreckage so they could pull some big calls, Rass said. But the collective isn't around anywhere to buy their energy. That's good for us, I suppose, Callie said. I'm kind of regretting reading The Demons of Bogues now. This place kind of looks like a ghost town. If it was abandoned, it would have had to have been recently. The scoop engines are still keeping it up, Ras said. Might still be worth a scavenge while the storm passes. The brass fox's engine shut off at Ras's command, and the ship glided silently into an empty slip. A young man escaping his teenage years appeared from somewhere Ras didn't notice, wearing an odd-looking checkered hat with ear flaps. He stood, ready to catch the rope. Hello, Ras called out, genuinely surprised to be met by a dockhand. What's the docking fee here? He cradled the rope, ready to toss it to the teenager. No response. Excuse me? Hello? He asked, snapping his fingers to draw the young man's attention. It looked like he was staring up at the balloon. Ras turned and called back. Callie, will you toss the rope to me? This dockhand is having a staring match with a fox. The... the fox? The young man finally spoke as though pulled from his trance. Ah, there you are. Here. Ras tossed the rope to him. The young man made no effort to catch it. Oh, no... Let me. Ras deadpanned and hopped down to the makeshift dock, which prompted the boy to burst into a full sprint away from Ras. He's back! He's back! The young man cried out, fleeing. Ras picked up the rope and tied it to the dock. He looked at Callie, who walked down the newly extended gangplank. What in Atmo is he talking about? Ras asked. Callie shrugged. Free parking? They walked along the docks and Callie handed Ras the duffel bag she carried. It held Elias's grapple gun and his newly holstered wrench. You might as well make sure whatever cabling you need will fit. Ras tilted his head in agreement. Good call. He extracted the grapple gun from the bag and placed the sleeve of it over his arm. It wasn't entirely out of fashion for wind merchants to wear them while off of their ships, and it protected his wrench-struck shoulder. The combination of an armored arm and a large wrench made him look like some odd mix of mechanic and knight-errant. For as empty as this place is, I think that Deccan might have been the king of New Crispin, Callie said. Leaving the docks, they made it out to the outskirts of the town to find absolutely nobody on the platforms they passed. They looked back to realize that the only other ships in the docks looked abandoned or in terrible disrepair. 
The whole situation made Ras want to turn around and head out. They could find grapple gun charges somewhere else, and passing wind merchants were usually willing to make trades. He was about to voice his opinion when Callie stopped him by placing her hand on his arm. Wait, do you hear something? She tilted her head. Music. Due to wind-whipped ears, Ras strained to hear what sounded like the faintest of piano music in the distance. It stopped abruptly, replaced by the sounds of dozens of boots coming down the curving path towards them. The light of handheld energy lamps began giving a green glow to the area. The reflections bobbing off of shop windows and the light grew in intensity as the footsteps became louder. Should we run? Callie asked, concerned. I am not opposed. Rast turned to head back to the ship. Veer! A voice shouted accusatory and questioning at the same time. Hold it right there. Rast looked at Callie, whose face was lit by the flickering lamps. He took a deep breath and turned to see the materialized mob. At least they don't have pitchforks, Callie said under her breath. What's a pitchfork? Rass whispered. A man with a white beard and bald head hobbled ahead of the crowd of thirty. He leaned on a crutch to help him manage on a peg leg. He held a lantern in the other hand and stopped ten feet away from Rass and Callie, prompting the rest of the group to halt as well. He studied Rass for a moment, then turned back to the crowd. You knucklehead, that ain't him, he called out, prompting the teenage dock hand to emerge from the group. But he called her the fox, the young man said. Had you considered that he might have been referring to the redhead? The older man countered. Hey, Callie said. No offense, miss. They think I'm my father, Ras thought. He shook his head. You were hoping for Elias fear and the silver fox. Aye, the one-legged man said with renewed vigor. Know him? He asked, adjusting his crutch. Knew him, Ras corrected. My father died ten years ago. Gasps escaped the crowd and the bearded man's shoulder slumped. That's... that's a right tragedy, son. Your father was a fine, fine man. He turned back to the crowd and bellowed. Tonight we drink to the life, legacy, and memory of Elias Veer. The solicited cheers. He turned to Ras and asked, What's your name, boy? Erasmus. And to Erasmus Veer, may he even be half as great as his father. The crowd cheered and began shuffling back up the road. Yeah, I already got that one covered, Ras muttered. Callie nudged him. He didn't mean it like that. Rass looked down at the grapple gun and suddenly felt ten years old, wearing a wind merchant costume and pretending to be his father. He trudged up the street, coming alongside the bearded man. I'm afraid I didn't catch your name. Oh, pardon my rudeness, Erasmus. Around here people just call me Pop, he said, shifting his weight so he could offer his hand. Rass accepted the shake and was pulled off balance by Pop's eager fist bumping. Easy enough. And young miss, I do apologize for earlier, he said. The boy is known to be uncouth. That's all right. My name's Callista. Lovely name, if I may say so, Pop said. Where are we going? The Silver Fox, of course, he smiled broadly. We named the tavern after his blessed ship on occasion of him saving the city. Rass looked at Callie and raised an eyebrow. Crispin? Oh, no, new Crispin, Pop said. But I bet if your dad had been around for the first tussle, you'd be standing on a much finer city. The tavern was the only building lit up in the dark town. Draped above the outside entrance was the Silver Fox's original dirigible canvas with a hand-painted logo of the Silver Fox that Emma had designed for Elias. As Rass approached the insignia he searched for every time his mother paraded him to the docks to meet Elias, he pointed up with a look of confusion. Pop explained, During the attacks, a cannonball went straight through, puncturing the ballonet. I'd never seen a pilot make it through losing their balloon. How did he do that? Rass's boyish grin broke through. Well... All he had was his windstrider scoop, so when he dropped below the clouds, we thought we lost him. But he used what he had in his collection tank to stop the dive by fueling his engines. Then he skimmed by the convergence below to act as a scoop booster to shoot it back through the clouds, balloonless. How'd he land? Kelly asked. New Crispin got him, Pop said. Nobody liked that bakery anyway. 
They walked underneath the relic and into the tavern, finding the rustic two-story interior of an old transport with a hearth built in the center, complete with crackling fire. Tables with mismatched wooden chairs were scattered around the hearth, and lining one side of the room was a large wooden bar. In the back, a man with a shaved head and dark glasses plinked away at a piano. Applause erupted inside of the room as patrons realized the guest of honor had entered, but it was quickly subdued as those who had been outside informed others that the newcomer wasn't their returned hero. Gil! Pop shouted at the piano player. Something jaunty. Yep. Gil obliged, and the piano began filling the tavern with music. Rask could feel the stairs subside as Pop escorted them to the bar. Crance, this is Eli's boy. Treat him right, Pop said to the barkeep, a serious-looking barrel-chested man with a beard and slicked-back hair. Pop looked back at Rass. Ten years ago, huh? More or less, Rass said. So he didn't make it back to you from here. It was more of an observation than a question. Rass shook his head. I didn't even know my father had been to New Crispin. Then you are in for a treat, Pop said, gesturing for Rass and Kelly to each pull up a bar stool. He obliged. Krantz had already been preparing two drinks and slid them across the bar. Callie sniffed at the beverage, then recoiled, crinkling her nose. Am I allowed to ask what's in this? The woman sitting on the stool next to Rass with long blonde hair spoke up. He won't talk to you unless you take a drink. The bearded barkeep grunted with what Rass assumed to be an agreement. The blonde woman laughed. But even then, he's laconic, she said, prompting him to narrow his eyes at her, then let slip a grin. She blew him a kiss. Rass took a swig of his drink and was surprised to find it lacked any alcohol, but instead had a sweet, fruity taste, the kind that Emma used to surprise him with during hot summers in his childhood. You sure you didn't mix these two up? Rass asked, pointing at their drinks. Krantz stared at him. He was probably ten years Rass's senior. Yup, he said as he cleaned a glass with an old rag. That's what your dad ordered. Pilots were likely to strike at all hours so he wouldn't let himself get caught off guard. How did you know my dad? Flew with him once during the first raid, Krantz said. The lights dimmed and Pop made himself comfortable on the small stage composed of a couple crates sitting next to the hearth. He clanked his tankard with a ring on his right hand to quiet the room. Gil stopped playing and the room fell silent. Now, I know about six months back we all had our 10th anniversary of emancipation, and we had a big to-do of it. But there's someone here that hasn't heard anything about this, which I find a crying shame. Erasmus Veer, would you wave your hand? Rash sheepishly obliged and heard every wooden chair creak as people turned to look his way. I'm afraid I have some very sad news indeed, Pop said. According to Erasmus, Elias didn't make it home after his three months under our care, murmurs spread through the crowd. So, I think it's fitting to tell the story to commemorate the man who gave us so much. Most all of you know it, but we could all use a reminder from time to time, I'd like to think. Rass settled into the stool. He was practically able to recite the tales from the scuffles with sky pirates around Verdant, but this was his one opportunity at hearing the tale, and he wanted to relish it. As most know, Pop began, the banner of India Bravo is enough to send most men back of their own engine wash, let alone our entire fleet of miscreants who had their eyes set upon New Crispin. Did he say India Bravo? Rass asked Krantz, who just shushed him and pointed at Pop. India and New Crispin had an uneasy agreement that none of us much liked, but once the winner were was built and set up over the origin, Miss Bravo realized that convergences were becoming far more valuable than ever. So the evening before the fireworks began, in flies the Silver Fox. Now, we don't often get travelers around here, and especially not wind merchants, since the collective doesn't have many a person to do business with in these parts. We house mostly tinkers, traders, the like, and a wind merchant was a treat. Elias Veer was his name, and right over there is where he sat. Pop pointed a finger directly at Rass, then winked. 
Most wind merchants are natural storytellers due to the nature of what they see in their trade, but it's bad luck and bad manners to ask for a tale, especially when they are taking a respite from the skies. But Elias was kind enough to regale us with the tales of the Cliffs of Quinn, the Tunnels of Laser Sea, and the time he squared off against the Red Band Sky Pirates. Pop paused and said, Erasmus, do you know those stories? Bedtime favorites, Ras said. Lucky lad. Then I won't bore you by rehashing them, as I'm sure you could tell them better than I, Pop said. Well, little do we know that India Bravo was waiting for night to fall before she struck, so Elias only made it halfway through the legend of Hal Napier and the secret pass into the wild. Callie leaned in. That might be something to ask about later. Ras nodded, his gaze transfixed on Pop. A voice called out, Get back to India Bravo! Patience. A good story has to unfold. If I rush, you won't enjoy it as much, Pop chided. Anyway... New Christmas shutters while we're all enjoying our suppers. We chalk it up to old engines, but the cannonball ripping through the wall just behind me changed our minds rather quickly, he said, jutting a thumb over his shoulder. The crowd chuckled darkly. We make it outside and see dozens of ships surrounding New Christmas with the Dauntless sitting back, taking it all in. Well, Elias was quick as a whip. He asked if we had stored any energy in the reserve balloons below the town, which we did, and told us to use whatever we could to attach them to our ships and open them right next to the Sky Pirate vessels. We told him most of us didn't have cannons, but he said we didn't need cannons. So, New Crispin is under bombardment, and we have about ten able ships among us to collect the energy reserve balloons. Next thing we know, Elias has dropped below the cloud cover in his ship, and we were we lost him. We wouldn't have blamed the man if he had just run and let us fight our own battle, but he had Krantz and a few other able-bodied men aboard with him. Pop looked at Krantz. My boy, you want to tell this part? Krantz just stared at Pop, and the crowd burst into laughter. Suit yourself, Pop said. Anyway, Eli was skimming the convergence below about as close as anyone would dare, collecting a tank full of concentrated energy. He led the charge towards India with nothing but energy. How did he hold him down? The teenage boy said, piping up. Joey, you've heard this a million times. I know, but I was just trying to add tension for Erasmus, Joey said. Just let me do my job, Pop said, then muttered, knucklehead. He turned to face Ras. Where was I? Callie chimed in, charging India Bravo with nothing but energy. Very good. So the thing that Elias knew that we didn't was that Bravo Company was the only pirate ships around outfitted with Helios engines. And anyone who's flown with a Helios engine knows that they fall dead in the sky if their engines are surrounded with raw energy. So that's what we did. We flew in, ripped the reserve balloons right next to them while dragging them behind us. The Silver Fox reversed the collection process, gassing the engines of anyone stupid enough to fall in behind its collection tube. We took down 20 of their ships, and lost four of ours, before the shot burst through the Silver Fox's balloon. But I already told you how he made it out of that one. Poor old Krantz hasn't stepped inside an airship since. Unnecessary detail, Krantz said. He glanced at Rast, who had turned to look back at him. As you were. Well, being out of a ship wouldn't stop Elias Veer, now would it? Pop smiled broadly. Now, nobody was around to see it, but the legend goes that he hijacked one of the pirate ships trying to board New Crispin piloted onto the Dauntless and became the reason India Bravo wears an eye patch. A low mechanical moan grew in the room, halting the story. Is that an engine? Pop asked, inclining his ear. Joey stood and ran outside as the pulsing sound grew. He ducked his head back inside and shouted, It's the Halifax! The sounds of chairs scraping against the floor added to the noise as everyone scrambled to filter outside. What's the Halifax? Callie asked. The collective's flagship, the blonde woman said. If it's here, it means trouble.